Oh, thank you, thank you. I've never been clapped like that before. Oh, that's... uh, Hey, everybody, good morning. It's great to see you. My name is Paul, one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad you're here today as we kick off our brand new series called We Are Warriors. In fact, we have an outline for our message this morning called We Believe. It's the right color, the gold colored sheet in your program. Please pull that out. And as you can see from the video and the stage, there are so many of us here today, we're, we're Warriors fans. And can I tell you, if you are not a Warriors fan, you should be. Because can I tell you what this, what this team is accomplishing, This not just because they're the local team, but what they're doing this season is right on the edge of miraculous. In fact, I want to share some of the stats from this year's miracle season right there on your outline. Do you know this season alone, best start in NBA history, best road start, longest home game winning streak, best record for a single season. 73 and 9, friends, and they're the only team to never lose back-to-back in a whole season. I mean, they are awesome. They are incredible. But can I tell you, we didn't come to church today to talk about basketball. We came to church today to look in the Bible about God's great call on your life and God's invitation for you to join his team and become a warrior. In fact, right there in the Bible, I want you to see from the Bible, God's call on your life for you to become a warrior. Check it out right there on your outline from 1 Timothy chapter 6, 11 and 12. It says this, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance and gentleness. And then it says this, fight, be a warrior, fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. Would you underline that phrase, fight the good fight? Do you see, this very morning, you've been called by God to be a warrior. God has called you to to show up and suit up and take the court and get in the game and to fight and to fight for the things that matter most in your life, for your faith, for your family for your future. Friends, as your pastor, I want to tell you right now this morning, as your pastor, I don't take for granted that many of you are battling right now today. Some of you are in a fight for your lives. Some of you are fighting for your marriage. And you're wondering, man, are we going to make it? Some of you parents, you're fighting for your kids because you see the world's trying to pull them down some bad roads and you're in the midst of the parenting battles right now. Some of you, you're sitting here today, and no one knows this, but you're sitting here today, and you're fighting for your sobriety, and it's just a battle every day to stay clean. Some of you are are battling for your health. Some of you are living in chronic pain, and you're you're fighting pain and depression, and let's, let's be honest. Here at Crossroads, we don't play church. Let's just be real with each other. The truth is, many of us, as we sit here, the truth is we're not winning our battles. And we're getting our butts kicked. We're getting beat up and we're getting torn down. And we're wondering, how am I ever going to make it through the difficult battles I face day in and day out? Well, friends, can I tell you this? This morning, we are calling today's message, We Believe, for two reasons. First, we want to draw some inspiration from the Warriors basketball team. 
Do you know the Warriors, in, in 2006, they were the worst team in the league. But the next year, they adopted this theme called We Believe. And they went from being the worst team, they ended their season on a 16-5 winning streak, they made it into the playoffs. And here's the deal. The whole team, all their fan base, they all kind of developed this theme, We Believe, like, we believe our team can win. We believe that our team can make the playoffs. And we believe that our team can do something that no other team in history has ever done. They made the playoffs. They were the eighth seed going against the number one seed, Dallas, Dallas Mavericks. No team has ever beat the number one seed in the first round of the playoffs. And they turned the NBA world upside down by beating the Dallas Mavericks 6-2 in the first round of the playoffs. And it all started with this, like, this theme, we believe. Well, friends, I want to let that inspire you to adapt that theme in your own life. But I'm not asking you to believe in the Golden State Warriors. I'm asking you to believe in our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he'll help you turn it around. He'll give you the strength and power to win the battles you face. So let's take some inspiration from the Warriors. But I also want you to take some inspiration from some Warriors in the Bible. Today, I want to talk to you about two great warriors. One's from the Old Testament, one's from the New Testament. The first one from the Old Testament, his name is Gideon. Do you know him? Do you know about Gideon? Some of you are going, isn't that the guy who leaves all the Bibles in the hotel? Isn't that Gideon? (laughs) Gideon. His story is actually found in Judges chapter 6 through 8. And this guy, Gideon, what an amazing story from the story of Judges. Now, let me set up the story for you because much like the 2006 Warriors, Gideon and God's people, they were on a seven-year losing streak. And they were losing to a team called the Midianites. And here's what happened. The previous 40 years, God had blessed all his people with peace and prosperity. But then the people started taking God for granted. They got complacent in their faith. They turned their back on God. They started going their own way. And they ended up doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They turned away from trusting God. And because they chose to remove themselves from the blessing and protection of God, God allowed them to suffer the consequences. And they fell under the oppression of the Midianites. Now, the Midianites is very interesting. Because the Midianites had this incredible game plan. And here was their game plan. The Midianites let the Israelites do all the labor, all the work. All right, Israelites, go ahead, plant your crops. Grow your food. But then at harvest time, the Bible said the Midianites would swoop in like locusts. They would steal all the food, all the cattle. Whatever they didn't steal, they would destroy. So the Israelites had nothing. And they were suffering big time. And this is where Gideon comes into the story. We find this man, Gideon, man, he's like hiding in the shadows. He's living in fear. And he's just trying to survive and squeak out a living. And then God shows up. And look at what it says on your outline in Judges 6.12. Here's what it says. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, would you underline that phrase, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Oh, how I wish I could have seen Gideon's face when the angel of the Lord said that, because I'm sure Gideon did a double take. I'm sure Gideon went like, (laughs) 
you're not talking to me because, and I'm not a warrior, I'm not a leader, I'm a loser. I'm not a fighter, I'm a failure. I'm not some hero, I'm here in this hole in the ground in hiding. Man, that's what Gideon's saying. But can I tell you, friends, in this moment, God not only saw Gideon for who he was, he saw that, he saw past that into who Gideon could become with God's help. And can I tell you the same is true for you and for me? God declares who and what we are by his power, not what we've done in our past or present circumstances, because God sees beyond your failures, your faults, and your limitations. God sees something in Gideon that he doesn't see in himself. God calls Gideon a mighty warrior. And the way that God sees Gideon, I believe that's how he sees you today. Maybe you're in hiding. Maybe you're just trying to survive and squeak out a living. But when God looks at you, I believe he's calling you into the battle to be a mighty warrior. And and it's interesting to me, if you read the story of Gideon, so interesting to me how Gideon responds. Because Gideon doesn't go, oh, God, thanks for choosing me. I'm so honored. Yeah, this is awesome. Gideon responds with some hard and heartfelt questions. Look what Gideon asked God. I think there's some of the same questions you and I ask when we're in tough situations. Here's what he says, Judges 6, 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why? Do you circle that word, why? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all God's wonders? The Lord has abandoned us. Man, I know many of you sitting here today, even if you've never said those words out loud, you've thought them, right? Like maybe you're even sitting here today and those are your questions for God. God, why? God, if you're so good, why do you let all these things, these bad things happen to us? Now guys, because we have the scriptures Because we have the Bible, we know the whole story. We know why. We know that God has never abandoned his people. The people abandoned God, right? You you understand that, right? It's kind of like the farmer and his wife. They're they're driving through town, this little one stoplight town. They drive up to the stoplight, and he's sitting in the pickup truck, and right next to him, this convertible drives up, this young guy. Man, he's got a girl sitting next to him so close, she's almost on his lap. Got his arm around his girl. The tunes are blaring. Well, the farmer's wife looks over at this couple. Then she looks over at her husband and she says, Honey, man, we used to be like that. We used to sit so close. What happened to us? And that farmer just said, Well, honey, I never moved. (laughs) You know, know, some of you are asking God, why? If it feels like you've abandoned me, I think God would say, Hey, I never moved. I've never left or forsaken you. Someone once told me, Paul, you're as close to God as you want to be. But isn't it human nature? Isn't it just our human nature that, that we like to take all the credit for the good things in our lives and then blame God for all the bad, right? Isn't that what Proverbs 19.3 on the screen behind me says? Proverbs 19.3 says this. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions, and then they what? They blame the Lord. Friends, I think about that verse. 
I want to tell you, in 36 years of trying to follow God very closely, I want to tell you, I can honestly say, God has never once abandoned me. God has been nothing but kind and loving and good and generous and gracious with me. But can I tell you, in 36 years, I've had a lot of bad things happen to me on every level. But can I tell you, every time, the bad things were a direct result of my own stupid choices or the results of living, living in a fallen, stupid world. None of them were God. And friends, God, he's your good father. He loves you. And he's not out to crush you or destroy you. But the story continues. Let's, let, let's go on. And it's interesting. You notice God never answers Gideon's questions. He just gives him a mission. In Judges 6, 14 through 16, it says this, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel. God is telling Gideon, I want you to go with what you've got and I want you to fight to bring my people back to me. Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my family. Gideon is basically saying, God, this is impossible. God, you don't know who I am. Like, God, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. God, I'm like a flea. No, wait a second. I'm like the flea on the back of a flea. That's what he's saying. I'm the least of the least. God, I, I, I can't do this. This is impossible. You got the wrong guy. And the Lord answered. Check this out. The Lord answered what? I will be with you. I will be with you. And here's what I want you to catch. Gideon is this underdog. And God shows up and makes him a mighty warrior. And the same thing God is saying to Gideon, he wants to say to you, just go with the strength you've got. I know you feel it doesn't amount to much, but what does amount to much is I will be with you. Somebody once said, one person plus God equals a majority. And in the same way the the warriors are having this miracle season, do you know what happens next in Gideon's life? is nothing short of a miracle. It's amazing. In fact, this week, I challenge you, read the story of Gideon for yourself. It's found in Judges chapter 6 through 8. And can I tell you, in this story, the first thing that God does, it says, Gideon, I want you to clean house. I want you to get rid of all your family idols. And this is so important because before God is going to use someone publicly, he always works with them privately. Can I tell you, before God will ever use you mightily, he must be magnified in your own personal private life, in your heart, your home. Private worship always prepares us for public power from God. And there are no shortcuts. Do you know, to be a great warrior for God, you got to start by cleaning house and removing anything in your heart and home that dishonors God. So that's what Gideon does first. He has to tear down these idols. And then God, check this out. God leads Gideon to take, a, take on an army of 135,000 Midianites with an army he doesn't even have yet. Can you imagine Gideon all along the way? His, his faith is struggling. He has these doubts. And God is so patient with Gideon. Every step of the way, God gives Gideon just what he needs to deal with his doubts and keep moving forward. And then, then here's the deal. Gideon sends out a call to the people, and 
32,000 Israelites show up to fight in his army. And, you know, 135,000 versus 32,000. You know what God tells Gideon? It's going to sound crazy to you. God God tells Gideon, hey, that's too much, too many. I mean, you're, you're going to sound, it's going to sound crazy, but God says, I want you to reduce your army from 32,000 down to 300. That sounds like stuff of Hollywood, right? <laughs> sounds like a Hollywood movie, 300. Wait, they did make that one. 300 <laughs> versus 135,000. And you may think it's crazy, but God tells us why he did it. Check out Judges 7-2 on the screen behind me. This is what the Bible says. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they what? Save themselves by their own strength. So after the army is reduced, then, check this out, God gives Gideon this crazy battle strategy. God tells Gideon, Gideon, first I want you to get some clay pots. Not Clay Thompson, but clay pots. That's the warrior's humor there. For, I want you to get some clay pots some torches and a trumpet. And I want you to take your 300 warriors and in groups of 100, I want you to surround the Midianite army. And then in the middle of the night, light your torches, put them inside the clay pot. And when all at the same time, I want you to crash your pots on the ground with a loud crash, raise up the torch in the sky, blow your trumpet. And I want you to shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And friends, when this happened, I mean, they did it. Crashed their pots, held up their torch, blew their trumpets, and they shouted, for the Lord and for Gideon. And friends, what happened next? Can you imagine? 135,000, middle of the night, they wake up. They think their whole army is surrounded by a superior force. They panic, and they start fighting one another. And 120,000, they kill each other, And the other 15,000, they flee for their lives. And then the story ends in such a powerful way. This is so key. Love how the story ends on your outline in Judges 8, 22 and 23. Because we see something that makes Gideon a great warrior. Because the people want to give him all the credit and glory and make Gideon their leader. And this is what Gideon does. Check this out. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, be our ruler, for you have rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Would you underline that phrase? The Lord will rule over you. Because that was the real battle Gideon was fighting. Not just to defeat the Midianites, but to bring God's people back to worshiping and following God. And I want you to see, Gideon used his victory and his celebrity to point people back to God. And that sounds like another warrior I know by the name of Steph Curry. Now, if you don't know this already, Steph Curry, such a committed Christ follower. In fact, so much so that when he won the the 2015 Most Valuable Player Award, the media told him, Steph, you got to stop talking about Jesus all the time. And when they gave him his most valuable player award last year, here's the first things out of his mouth. Check it out on the screen. Here's what he said. First and foremost, I have to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for blessing me with the talents to play this game, blessing me with the family to support me day in and day out. I'm his humble servant right now, 
And I can't say enough how important my faith is to who I am and how I play the game. Awesome, right? Guys, I I can't stress enough. Here's what I want you to take from our first example of Gideon, this mighty warrior. Would you write this down? Gideon was a mighty warrior because he got in the game. And I want to be clear here. Gideon didn't ask God to join his team. God asked Gideon to join God's team and to fight for God's purposes in the world. This is is so key. God asked Gideon to suit up and show up and get in the arena. And God took this lowly man living in the shadows, hiding and afraid, and he turned him into a mighty warrior who made a mighty difference in the world. And I want you this very morning, let the story of Gideon inspire you. Because some of you are just like Gideon. Man, you're hiding in the shadows. You're just trying to survive and squeak out a living. And God is looking at you and saying, mighty warrior. Man, rise to your feet and get in the game and I'll use you to make a difference. In fact, let me tell you about someone in our church who's like a modern day Gideon right here at Crossroads. This lady uh, responded to God's call to get in the game. And man, she battles for God every single day. I've watched her for over the last, you know, six, seven years. Man, she shows up and she fights hard every day to build this new worship center out here on the front lawn. It's our pastor, Linnea Hedgecock. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, what you don't know is building that building has been a battle from day one. And I think along the way, man, she, she has suited up and got on the court and she's in the, and if you go up to her office, on the door of her office, she has this quote from Theodore Roosevelt. I want to, I want to read it to you and I hope to God I have it. Okay. I will read it to you as we all read it on the screen together. (laughs) It's not the critic who counts. It's not the one who points out how the strong man stumbled or how the doer of deeds might have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with sweat and dust and blood, who strives valiantly, who who errs and comes up short again and again and again, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, and spends himself in a worthy cause who, if he wins, knows the triumph of high achievement, and who, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. And I think Linnea lets that quote inspire her to stay in the game, stay in the fight, because she knows she's not just building a building. She's building something that will help people know the love of God. How about you? Be like Gideon. Be a mighty warrior who gets in the arena and fights to lead people to the love of God. Now, turn your outline over. Because I want to talk to you about one other warrior from the New Testament. Greatest warrior who ever lived. Do you know him? His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. You know, we're here today as a church because we believe. 
We believe that Jesus Christ is God's son who lived a perfect sinless life, battled for you and me on the cross, battled, gave his blood, and won the great victory by resurrecting from the dead. We believe that in this church. And I want to tell you, this is more than just, you know, going through some religious ceremony. This is, this is personal. As your pastor, I want to tell you, man, there's nothing I love more on this earth than Jesus Christ. Jesus is my Lord and Savior and and friend, and comfort, and guide, and coach. He's everything to me. Man, Jesus Christ, I love him. I worship him. I follow him. I serve him. I want everyone to know him. Because I will tell you this. Friends, my life was on the road to hell. And Jesus battled to save me and bring me back to my heavenly father. And he fights. He fought for me, and he's fighting for you. And I believe it. How about you? I'm not the only one. In fact, on your outline, look what Steph Curry said on your outline. I love this quote. Steph Curry said these words, there's more to me than just this jersey I wear, and that's Christ living inside of me. And if you're a Warriors fan, can I tell you, you know Steph Curry, every time he plays the game, man, he battles. He takes a beating, he fights, he puts it all on the line to try to win the game. But if he was standing here, he would tell you what I do on the court That's nothing compared to what Jesus did to battle to save me. Jesus is a warrior. When you think of Jesus, have you ever thought of him that way? See, most people, when they think of Jesus, those people who, most people who don't really know Jesus, they kind of think of Jesus like a biblical Barney, you know, almost like walking around or like a hope-filled hippie, right? with robes and a beard and passing out little flowers and telling everybody, you know, peace. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus was a warrior. In fact, I want to give you two pictures of two battles he fought. And I hope you connect with them. The first one comes from the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13, Jesus entered the temple. He began to drive out all the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice, man. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. Such a powerful moment. You see Jesus, this warrior, and he's battling for the glory of God. He's battling for the temple. He's saying the church is a place of prayer, a place where people should come and connect to their Father in heaven. And I will not allow you to use religion to manipulate people or rip them off. And when I say that Jesus is a warrior, I want to be clear what we're talking about because some of you, when you think warrior, you think of someone who like kills people or destroys or crushes them. Jesus, if if you're taking notes, would you write this down? This is the type of, of warrior Jesus was. He was a compassionate warrior. He was a compassionate warrior. I mean, he had passion. He had strength. But he also had compassion for people. Passion for God's glory, compassion for people. And when I say a compassionate warrior, I mean, think about it. And he touched the leper. He fed the hungry. He healed the sick. Man, he never beat people down. He always lifted people up. He never lived to destroy people. He lived to save people. And when Jesus looked at people, 
Check out, when he looked at them, check out how Jesus looked at people on your outline. In Matthew chapter 9, this is so key, Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But do you underline, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion? Because when Jesus looked at people, he looked at them with eyes of love. And as you sit here today, friends, I want you to know Jesus sees you, and he's looking at you, but he's looking at you with eyes of compassion. He loves you and fights for you. And friends, never confuse compassion with weakness or softness. In fact, if I can give you the best picture of compassion that I know, this is it right here. Do you know what this is? This is a velvet-covered brick. Soft, warm, approachable on the outside, but on the inside, solid as a rock. That's how Jesus is. He, Jesus is a boy. He's like a, like a velvet-covered brick. In fact, let me give you a picture of how Jesus battled this way. It's another story, story of the woman caught in adultery. Do you know it? In John chapter 8, some religiously, Jesus was teaching in the temple. And the religious leaders, they didn't care about this woman. They just wanted to trap Jesus. But they, they dragged this woman. They threw her down in front of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, the law says that we're to stone and kill this woman. What do you say we're supposed to do? The Bible says that Jesus just kind of stooped down. I believe that he was looking at this woman thrown on the ground. I think he was looking at her with eyes of compassion. But man, these religious leaders with rocks at the ready, they kept pushing. The law says to stone her and kill her. What do you say? And this, this compassionate warrior, man, he rises up. And he looks them in the eyes. And he says, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then the Bible says that he knelt back down. He started writing in the sand. Some scholars say that maybe he was writing all the sins of all the men holding rocks. Now, we don't know what he was writing. But friends, can you see it? Can you hear it like a pin drop? Thump, 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 thump. The sound of the rocks being dropped one by one. These men dropped their rocks and they left until only Jesus and the woman remained. And then Jesus stood up and he looked at this woman. And, and can I just on a side note, Jesus was the only one who had a right to throw a rock at her because he was without sin. But Jesus looks at her, this velvet-covered brick looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she barely looked at him, no one, Lord. And then in John chapter 8, look at what Jesus said to her. In John chapter 8, Jesus said these words, Then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What did he do? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus was a compassionate warrior battling for this woman, battling for her physical life and her spiritual soul. Showing the love and grace of God without compromising truth. He was a velvet-covered brick. And the same way he fought for that woman. Do you know he, he fights that way for you? 
I mean, most of you sitting here today, you know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. But do you know what John 3.17 says? Check out John 3.17. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn you. Man, he came to save you, to battle you. Man, what a great warrior because Jesus battled to the end. In fact, what were the last words of Jesus as he hung on the cross for you and me? What is it? Check it out on your outline. John 19.30, Jesus said what? It is finished. He won the battle and gave his life so that we could live. Oh, friends, this is so cool. That's why we love him. That's why we believe in him. That's why we come together as a church to sing and pray and worship and celebrate and share the love of Christ. And that's why we take communion together. That's why we take communion. In fact, if you're taking notes, would you write this down? Let me explain it this way. Communion is a way for those of us who are Christ followers to declare that we believe that Jesus is God's son. It's our way to say that we believe that Jesus lived a perfect sinless life, battled for our forgiveness on the cross, and won the victory by resurrecting from the dead. It's a way for us to remember who we believe in, who we belong to, and whose team we're really on. Do you know, Steph Curry has this thing he does to help him remember whose team he's really on. In fact, on the screen behind me, I don't know if you knew this or not, Steph Curry said, I do a little sign on the court. Every time I make a good shot or a good pass, I pound my chest and point to the sky. And it symbolizes I have a heart for God. Something my mom and I came up with while I was in college, and I do it every time I step on the floor as a reminder of who I'm playing for. You see, that's Steph Curry's sign of remembrance. And you know our sign of remembrance is the Lord's Supper. You see, we take the bread to remember Jesus battled with his body. We take the juice to remember that Jesus battled by shedding his blood. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says it this way. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So here's what we're going to do. I'd like to invite the band to come on up on stage at this moment. In just a minute, they're going to play a song called We Believe. And they're going to declare through music that we believe in Jesus. And while the band plays, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass out the elements of communion. The bread representing the body of Christ. The juice representing the blood that Jesus shed for us. And here's where you come in. If, if you are a follower of Jesus, or if for the very first time you want to declare because Jesus battled for you, you want to belong to him, I ask you, take the elements, the bread and the juice, and hang on to them. And then I want you to take a moment to just say a prayer of thanksgiving. And then when you're ready, I want you to stand to your feet, I want you to eat the bread, drink the juice, and then Start singing with the band because that's your moment. That's your sign of remembrance. And then I want to say, if you're not a follower of Christ, first of all, we're thrilled that you're here. We started this church just for you. But in this moment, I humbly ask you 
to just let the elements go by, but let all of those standing around you be a strong witness that we're declaring we believe in Jesus and that he saved us. He called us. He helps us win our battles, and he can do that for you. So at this time, I'll ask the ushers to come forward as the band leads us now in the Lord's Supper. You know, for those of us who took communion, I want you to know that you just made a powerful and profound declaration. What you're really saying is that because Jesus battled for you, that you will be his warrior, that you will fight for him, that you will do your best to get in the game, to suit up and show up and get in the arena. And as your pastor, my prayer for you is that when you come to the end of your battle, you'll be able to say these words that the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. You'll be able to say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. And the prize is not just for me, but it's for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you called us to be warriors and to fight for the things that matter most. And thank you that you not only see us for where we're at today, but for where you want to take us and how you want to make us. Thank you that you don't leave us to fight alone, but but that you always promise to be with us and never abandon us. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to be our compassionate warrior. Give us that heart of compassion, not to fight against people, but to fight for people, not to beat them down, but to lift them up so that they can know your love and salvation that comes through faith in your son, Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.